Welcome to my podcast, Deep in the Sea. I am Mirko Giordani and I will accompany you on a fantastic journey over Southeast Asia and India. I will interview top politicians, businessmen, analysts and professors from the region. And if you want to understand one of the most dynamic countries in the world, you can listen to this podcast on my website, deepinthesea.org, on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcast, iTunes, and other famous podcasting platforms such as TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, etc., etc., etc. And if you want to follow my daily content, you can find me on LinkedIn as Mirko Giordani and the same on Facebook and Twitter. are at Deep in the Sea, the only podcast that deals entirely with Southeast Asia and India. And today my guest is, I believe, Akshob is the third time you are here. Akshob Girirdadas, which is a director at Bauer Group Asia. How are you, Akshob? Mirko, it is a pleasure. Third time is a charm. So look forward to being here. I think I did two with you and I think one I did with a combined guest. So in some sense, fourth, but I hope you're not keep counting. I hope to keep coming back on your show. <laughs> very good. Very good. No, no, like uh, for sure. Yeah. One time we have done it uh, during the COVID pandemic. We have discussed with other experts from Southeast Asia, India, London, and with you. But yes. this is the, I believe the second time we are doing it vis-a-vis -vis me and you. So you are in the, in the show. So it means that today we're speaking about India and the RCAP. I know obviously that today speaking about India is not the first thing to do in the news. I have noticed that you have spoken a lot about what's happening in America with the transition of power yeah. from Donald Trump to Joe Biden and what happened with the storm of the Congress. But this is a matter of another discussion, maybe for other media rather than deep in the sea. I, I want to focus this, post, this podcast on, in, on Southeast Asia and India. And uh, I believe that it's very interesting what's happening uh, in the Indo-Pacific region from a trade point of view. You know, the 10 ASEAN countries plus China, South Korea, Japan, Australia, and New Zealand, they have signed the RCIP, which is considered the biggest uh, free trade deal in the world. They are involved more than 2 billion people. Um, if you think about the 600 million people in ASEAN, 1 billion and a half people in China and other millions of people spread around Japan, South Korea, New Zealand mm. and Australia. But India is not there. Or to be more to be correct, India could have been there because it was in the discussion for uh, the RCAP, but in the end, pre Prime Minister Modi, every time I'm saying President Modi, and I was saying again today, Prime Minister Modi, in the end, pulled uh, India out of the trade deal, as far as I have understood, because of protectionist fear. It's my curiosity, and I believe the curiosity of the listeners of this podcast, because the issue have popped up rather in the surface with other previous podcast I have recorded, why India didn't join. I want to go in depth on the political, social, and cultural reason on why India didn't join the RCIP. And if it's possible, given the new political climate and environment with President Joe Biden, that maybe will put the USA in a less battling position against China. So maybe the US can join the RCIP, or maybe the US can be a 
at least a bit more interesting in yeah. the trade deal. So do you believe that India will think about again in the future about joining the RCAP? What are the odds? So Akshob, the stage is yeah. yours. Please go. And if I have some question, I will interrupt yeah. you. No, absolutely, Mirko. You, the floor is actually all yours. Anytime you want to pop in with a wise question. Uh, you know, Mirko, back in 2013, I was based in Singapore. And one of the first stories I did in the newsroom when I just joined my organization then was about the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And in fact, uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership was all about keeping China out. It was a sort of Obama era's move towards, uh, you know, China, uh, towards ASEAN. You know, so it was all Singapore, New Zealand, and uh, Chile, and I had... Um, Australia, Japan, and all these other um, organizations. And, and and China was backing on RCEP to be the rival uh, trade deal, if, if at all that makes sense. India, of course, not part of the TPP, but when the US pulled out of the TPP, it was again a sort of scoring an own goal and allowing China to kind of win. And I think, you know, at that point, the TPP felt like it was again under Trump administration where the US went insular. Now, with regards to India, right, there's always been this philosophy that India has always been protectionist. In fact, I think uh, a commentator once very well said that I always looked for Ronald Reagan, but I kept getting Bernie Sanders in India. And of course, uh, I, you know, there's enough to criticize the Reaganism as well as uh, Sandonomics as well, with Reaganomics and Sand Sandonomics as well. But what was profound in that saying was you need someone who's more free market capitalism. When I say free market capitalism, a lot of it is wrong. A lot of things is wrong with capitalism as we stand today. But what meant was removing some of the socialist moribund Soviet shackles that was there in the in India for 40 plus years. And, and 2021, Mirko, is the 30-year anniversary of Narsimha Rao and Finance Minister, now ex-Prime Minister Manmohan Singh's economic reforms. But India has always been protectionist. And even when Modi sort of came in in 2014, one of his signature moves was to be open-ended, to be inviting, to get investments in, to bring India down in the World Bank, ease of doing business index. And that's happened, uh, you know, from 100 odd ranks. So, you know, the India sort of flirting in the in the later parts of 50 to 100, I think somewhere around 60, 75. But PM Modi said he wants to come down to 50. And as you rightly said, we've come down to the one-year mark where India pulled out of the RCP. It would look like India was all set. And it was almost like India pulled the rug out at the last minute. Now, what the TPP said to the United States is what RCP is saying to India, that we're going to go on without you. The door is open for you to join back. But from what we see, uh, the moves then, and I was speaking to diplomats in Singapore as well as in Washington, D.C., of course, the line was, it doesn't align with our interest. But if you look a little more closely, that even though the BJP government, which has spoken about being economic reformers, has also been very nationalistically, econ you know, very protected. You've seen top companies like IKEA as well only came to India recently in the last two, three years because it's protection of small scale industry. Like, you know, uh, and there was a trepidation that the RCEP would allow China to add more, be able to dump more goods and become uh, India's protectionist barriers against China would kind of reduce and the, the trade deficit of China, which is anywhere between 48 to $50 billion, would just increase further. And we've seen right now, this is, we're talking about Jan 2020, before COVID became a phenomenon, before the border skirmish that you and I have spoken about, Mirko, became an issue. So you can imagine now how much of a bigger issue it is. So China is a secret factor, Mirko. So you believe that India is still, uh, despite the economic reform in a, Reagan way, it's still a socialist, it's still a socialist country, there are still like political pushes 
for protectionist and socialist economic agenda, which is even more reinforced by discrimination between India and China and the COVID. You know, like COVID, we, we have discussed it in previous podcasts. COVID just reinforced the need for supply chains to be short and to be reliable yes. and to be safe. How safe is China for India? How COVID has revamped nationalism around the world? How COVID has put in danger the notion that of Pax et Commercium, like peace and trade, where there are barriers, where there are physical yeah. barriers, they pass the tanks, not the, not the goods. And the contrary is also valid. Like, how much do you think that these influences of 2020 put at strain the intention of India to enjoy more globalization, to enjoy more free trade, and in the end to pull out of the uh, RCAP? Yeah, absolutely. Look, the first thing that people are counting on India was because there had already been three and a half years of the Trump administration as of Jan uh, 2020. And at a time of trade protectionism and economic nationalism that the United States was in the middle of India's agreement to RCP coming in would have been vital for a lot of things. One is, of course, uh, creating a more free market among the 16 signatories. And also, India pulling out is not just about hurting India in some ways, although some people would argue the reverse, but it's also hurting the other signatories because India is a big market. And India is a market that a lot of investors are looking at closely. One of the reasons why the US always looked at India as a strategic counterweight to China, something that the Indian uh, diplomatic court hate uh, to hear as a strategic counterweight to China, was the fact that India is, you know, shares the same democratic norms as the United States, but also is a large enough market than China is and for American enterprises. Now, coming to COVID as well, the very important thing, and I think uh, me and my colleague authored this piece in The Diplomat in May last year, was talking about the shifting supply chains. Um, if you've seen what's happening across, and you follow Asia very closely, Mirko, uh, before Shinzo Abe stopped being prime minister of Japan, he gave uh, I think there was a $2 billion incentive for Japanese companies to move out of China. And as companies, you know, anything disrupted in China means supply chains disrupted it's around so the world. It's called reshoring. The reshoring. Exactly. Ex exactly. And this is where India companies are trying to buy supply chain insurance. Because, you know, it's like a good finance manager will tell you, you've got to have a portfolio mix. If you only buy equities and the equity market crashes, you'll miss out on the bonds. If you only buy bonds, you'll not get the equity growth. You know, you've got to kind of diversify your portfolio. And I think because of China's hegemon in the manufacturing space, and as China sort of moves more from the manufacturing space to a more consumption-led economy with a higher purchasing power parity, that space was vacant. And a lot of people looked at India to kind of pick up the space. Because India went from an agrarian to services from the 70s to a services right now in the 90s, skipping the manufacturing component, which made China the factory of the world, right? And that's been picked up by places like Bangladesh and Vietnam, which have done far better than India. So with Prime Minister Modi's make in India, ironically, there are two things here. One was it was a chance to kind of attract high-end manufacturing. India has cotton, jute, silk, but you need the automobiles. You need to get Foxconns. You need to get, um, you know, for the amount of mobile phones in India, which are very high concentration of mobile phones, because given the volume in its population, that is in the millions. You need to get... You, you need to attract uh, the iPhone manufacturers and other top-end manufacturers. Now, what's happened is, so Make in India was to attract high-end manufacturing, but also because you had Make in India, some people said, look, RCEP will mean that will hurt the local industry that you're trying to promote from Make in India. So it became like a double-edged sword over here. 
you believe that India will join again, like will join in the future the RCP? What are the odds that India will turn out and join the RCP? Well, you know, like I said, for like the TPP for the US, it's always open. The RCP, uh, you know, the, the pact said it's always open for India to come in. Like it was, India walked out of RCP. If this was a wedding, India walked off at the altar. India agreed to the proposal. It had walked down the, in the aisle or perhaps waiting at the aisle. And India just pulled out before I said, you can say I do. Right. It was a very last minute pullout and the diplomats. And if you heard what Javed Ashraf, the then high commissioner of uh, Indian high commissioner of Singapore and now Indian ambassador of France said was there's never say never, but the terms and conditions have to change. But as you know, as we touched on Mirko at the start of your podcast was that was before COVID, before COVID became something. There's also the security threat with China around Huawei and 5G technology. We've seen right now with the border skirmish that's happened. Uh, that changed the context of what China is, right? Because Modi and Xi have had these informal summits. Since the Doklam standoff, you had the Wuhan summit. I mean, now we know Wuhan for the origin of COVID, but you had the Wuhan summit and then, you know, Xi Jinping came to Tamil Nadu and, you know, you had the second summit and it was sort of the reset. And then you have this very violent skirmish at the border. The first time since, I think, 1962, where there were lives lost. Even Doklam was, you know, a non um a military standoff this has yeah like actually no, no bullet has been fired they they have died exactly. because they they have exactly. they they like fall in the mountain like they yeah. they have died i don't want to say in a f- not funny way but they have died it was fifty coughs it was a like, little bit of club beating there was yeah like and... they they have like thrown themselves rocks and that kind of stuff yeah i mean i think you know at the end of the day people will look at the fact that there is a there are people, there are soldiers who died. Whether it was a bullet that was fired or stones that were thrown, it was at the hands of people, let's say the PLA. And now uh, there's also been a breach of that. And what China has done more assertively, and we've seen with COVID, with what they're doing in the U- with, 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 uh, against US officials or Indian officials or Taiwan, Hong Kong and ASEAN officials, there is the wolf warrior diplomacy. So there's a lot of, I wouldn't, there's a lot of, uh, China's raised the ante and as a result of it, there's the anti-Beijing feeling right now. Right. Uh, despite the geopolitical rivalry, what was said between India and China was never has there been a very influential Indian prime minister since Nehru, never has there been an influential leader since Mao and, you know, Modi and Xi can sort of agree on trade relations. And it's something that Modi had done very well when he was chief minister of Gujarat. You know, he had this vibrant Gujarat summit. He'd invite Chinese investors. He'd go to Shenzhen and Guangzhou, uh, you know, very often and, you know, be able to attract investments. And he kind of you know, saw an economic relationship. In some ways, it was like, it was sort of a China-Taiwan. We may disagree politically, but we'll have a good trade relationship. And, you know, people would say, what's wrong in that? You know, that's most important for the economy. Now what's happened is look at the repercussions. You had 49, 50, maybe 60 Chinese have banned, including TikTok, the most popular one that people know. There's been, um, and after that, even uh, people like in the United Kingdom and the United States have gone about, you know, being harsh on TikTok. You've got uh, this concern about China and 5G technology, especially with Huawei. Uh, there are security concerns right now, especially with Alipay and all coming into the market. You may worry about, you know, with fintech and the value of Chinese investments in India has been useful in, in terms of mobile phone markets, but there's also a sense of, Everyone wants the United States as a friend, but no one wants China as an enemy. And there's a fundamental difference there. There, As the relations between Beijing and Delhi were thawing, this has happened. And of course, RCEP is very integrally China. China's driving RCEP as compared to TPP, which was done to sort of, you know, the elephant in the room is always a dragon, as we've realized right now in ASEAN and trade. And I think unless 
I'm not optimistic of anything changing now because what has changed has been in the negative. covid the border skirmish as well as as far as we know the trade deals remain the same so for whatever reasons india with a protection outlook backed off something has to change drastically so i don't see anything immediately changing and especially now let's not forget even then india was worried about its economy being weakened and if you opened up the economy at that time with this trade deal the worry was the, the trade deficit would just increase especially with china which is at 50 billion dollars which is a ridiculous amount and you feel that right now that there is while there's a need for more fti there's also a need to be more protectionist of certain industries especially small medium businesses which have really suffered worldwide during covid let alone in india as well i want to ask you a more political question you know like to escape a little bit the trade relations and the economic reason why india didn't join the rcap do you think that the fact that india pulled out in the end maybe india will appear weak or maybe india will appear as uh, not a serious actor in the indo-pacific region especially in southeast asia you know i have spoken with a series of analysts from the region and they all expect uh, some kind of military engagement economic engagement of india in the indo-pacific and in, especially in southeast asia do you believe that india pulling out in this way from the rcp is a signal that india maybe is not serious in its engagement poli- both political and economic engagement in the region at what can be the diplomatic and political consequences of the image of India in the broader Indo-Pacific region? There are two things here, right? One is it's popular politically at home, right? There uh, there was the All India, uh, you know, it's called the Kisan Sangharsh Coordination Committee, which is sort of farmer-based organization, which welcomed it because there was a worry about, you know, what, what China will do with, you know, with, with crops and, uh, you know, in, what would that mean for India's farming and agri sector with this pact? It would hurt it more. And, you know, fundamentally, India's ethos has always been this phrase called Jai Jawan, Jai Kisan, which means the soldier and the farmer. And India, obviously, even though India has moved along from an agrarian economy, there is still the agrarian, the farmer is the economic representation of the common man. Uh, and they welcomed it. And you see right now, as Prime Minister Modi tried agri reforms in India, and there was a lot of pushback from the farmers right now. And you saw this protest. Uh, politically, geopolitically, for international communities like yourself, it will be frustrating as well as, you know, for a lot of people who, uh, you know, want India to be a more open-ended economy. But because India is such a complex economy that needs a mass, major reforms and it's not easy to conduct those reforms. And every time people try to compare India and China, there's a, it's very important to note to grow China's breakneck speed. In India, you literally have to break a lot of necks because, you know, it's a very different system. What China wants, China gets. You know, um, you can make any um, adjustments on the Pudong and Shanghai, the city stands there. You try to do that, the Narmada River, and you have all these sit-in protests. So India is not very easy for these reforms. So this was definitely nationalistically economic, even though multilateralism and trade deals, as most international economists will say, is, um, you know, it's about in- reducing tariffs and, and in- increasing the flows of goods and services. But it's, it's a double-edged sword. So... You can be popular internationally, but one would, your political advisor will tell you, how do you become popular internationally if you can't be popular domestically? There is no international if you're not popular domestically. Uh, so I think that there's a political element to it as well. Um, you know, and I think the BJP government has been economically nationalist, even though the, the modus operandi was to kind of be more welcoming. And, and they want FDIs, they, they don't want it, but it's on India's terms and conditions. 
and I think what this will definitely mean is India says they've got outstanding issues, quote unquote outstanding issues. We haven't gotten the weeds of what all are the outstanding issues, and until our India gets satisfactory resolution, I think that was the words used at that time. Uh, they're not going to sign on, and I think this is something that most people that I've spoken to, you know, in the Indian diplomatic corps, seem to be in unison agreement on, and that oh, it's not in any other interests. So I think on the political front, but on the Indo-Pacific front, I think there's been more engagement because I think India, as well as the US and Japan, realize and even Australia right now. If you look at the Quad as part of the Indo-Pacific, Japan, Australia, India, all three right now have a China threat, right? I mean, China and Australia have it on the commodities front right now. You've seen a lot of Wolf Warrior diplomacy directed at Canberra. You saw how Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, shot back. We've seen what's happened in the East China Sea with Senkaku, the Ayu Islands. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Suga, the new Prime Minister, handles the China factor, the way he, way uh, Shinzo Abe handled it, and of course, India. We know about the border skirmish and. What the U.S. has kind of done with the Indo-Pacific is sort of tell Beijing, we see a Belt and Road Initiative, and we raise you the Indo-Pacific. So everything from the east coast of Africa to Australasia, and you know, is sort of part of the Indo-Pacific. And ASEAN, as where you rightly focus your energy and interest from, is a core part of that. So India recognizes the security aspects, and India espouses the free and open Indo-Pacific elements that has been spoken about, but. As far as the RCEP is concerned, India is looking at that as purely its own interest because its market is not a mutual decision. India looks at it saying, "Look, we want a mutual beneficial thing, but it has to benefit everyone." You know, there is no. This is not. Uh, it's not like the democratic election where fourteen out of fifteen out of sixteen are vote for it, and the one guy doesn't, and the yeas win. You know, each one has a veto of its own, and by India pulling out, it's India just signaling that. This is not in India's interest, so that's clearly the message that Modi has sent, and I think it's very, very unlikely that unless there's something major that gets revamped, it's very unlikely that India will come back to the table anytime soon. Though, however, there are economists that have hit out in critiquing India's decision. I think Arvind Pangaria has kind of uh, panagras, or he has come out and said that you know that India should have kind of gone ahead with it, uh, but of course, uh, that's one that's one perspective. What you have said about uh, what is India' national and economic interest in RCEP and the fact that Modi and the broad Indian public, because as I have understood in the internal politics, the, the pulling out of the RCEP has been welcomed very well by the agrarian society. You you have said obviously that nowadays India is not like an agrarian society de facto, but they have still like that kind of ethos. I want to ask you a final question: the relationship between Modi and Biden. This is out of the argument of our podcast, but yeah. I just want to close with it. No, absolutely. Oh, thank you about that. So, uh, very, very candidly, uh, and I've written about this. If you think about the India-U.S. relations since the reset, since the end of the Cold War in the 1990s, um, you know, since you know, it's actually very funny. Um, When Prime Minister Modi went to Texas, Houston, for the Howdy Modi summit, uh, it's very interesting to note that the first time India-U.S. relations changed for the better was sort of when Narasimha Rao went in 1990s, and Kashmir was in the backdrop then because Clinton one was very hostile to India then, and Kashmir had just been uh, Article 370 had happened here, but that was sort of the first change. And since you think about it, since Vajpayee Clinton, there have been every permutation combination of BJP Congress Republican Democrat you know you've had you know you had democrat in, in clinton and bush republican democrat obama trump republican and 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 you've had bjp in congress dealing with it from vajpay to manmohan singh to modi and who've interlapped with both 
you look at the way Modi dealt with someone like Obama and you look at the Modi dealt with someone like Trump two very different people and most you know people i spoke to like even in singapore for example were like when trump came they like this is thrown out all diplomacy we don't know how to there is no manual on how to deal with trump there's a manual on how to deal with us presidents but trump is not a normal us president or now we could say was a normal us president was not a normal us president with biden what's going to happen is it's going to pick up from where it started off on one thing prime minister modi becomes the first prime minister since i think indira gandhi to get to three us presidents in his term he hasn't been in office very long he's only second term and seventh year he came in 2014 um he dealt with obama he's dealt with trump and now he'll deal with biden he's dealt with biden in a vice president capacity um he of course dealt with biden uh, a little bit also in but biden was senate foreign relations chair although modi was not prime minister then uh but what's this going to happen is india and the united states are just going to pick up from where they left off because the india and the us for both sides is truly bipartisan it it rests on three pillars on on shared economic values on shared democratic values there is the the, the strategic element as well with indo pacific uh, with in the indo pacific angle as well as india as a market for american goods and service and thirdly the most important factor in the last 30 years has been the indian diaspora the prominence of the indian diaspora you know google and microsoft headed by indian americans now and and just the you know the, the, it's not the rarity of seeing indian diaspora at the highest echelons all of that has created a very favorable image and i think india and the united states will kind of pivot more closely and also look at the fact that there's no more juxtaposition where the us had to balance between new delhi and islamabad since bush since obama since the bin laden raid obama has not even been to islamabad trump never went to islamabad even though trump fulfilled what every us president has done since i think uh, bill clinton has made one visit to india and i think biden and modi will just continue where they left off uh and i think biden will be more engaging on multilateral front and more outward diplomacy so that that remains to be seen so practically it's a different of style of the us president trump is more bilateral it's more yes. brash while biden is more soft and more multilateral like this is this is the impression i have gotten also from from other experts Yeah, I would say by uh, Trump is more transactional. He is used to his Yeah, that, this deals. is the right word, transactional. Deals and trans like Trump is not averse to trade deals, he's averse to multilateral trade deals. Trump wants like two guys sitting amigo to amigo talking it out and just like, you know, quid pro quo kind of this thing, you know. And Trump is not about but you know foreign policy and diplomacy and trade deals are more complex than that. It's a lot of nuances. It's not up to the individual you know and i'll quote a very good example from there the current indian high commissioner of canada was the former indian high commissioner of pakistan and he was prime minister vajpayee's principal secretary when mushraf had come during the summit and mushraf had asked him to sign something the four point plan on kashmir and he almost said like yeah when we sign it and vajpayee is like hold on i need to speak to my cabinet and mushraf was like i am president your prime minister you know why do we need to speak to anyone else and vajpayee turns to the principal secretary and says this guy is so juvenile you don't understand how in democracy then diplomacy work it's not yes you see the figureheads of modi and trump maybe or two prime ministers and president but it's it's a whole cabinet it's a whole uh, level of experts and which we which a lot of people don't see outside and i think that's trump view that i'm president and i just deal it you know why do we need to get everyone else in so that's why there's been such a trans uh, attrition in his whole cabinet he doesn't listen to the experts and he uh, trumping trump just flies off the handle on his own so as you can rightly see right now he didn't want to accept the results as well so we had what we had on jan 6 over here so with the final reference to what's happening in capital hill i think that actually for today we have covered pretty much all the political diplomatic and economic angles on the reason why india didn't join the rcp and 
as far as I have understood how difficult will be that India will uh, will try to join back the RCP in the future because uh, the protectionist push in India is so much popular within Indian people within the let's say middle class Indian people that it's fairly very difficult and nearly impossible that India will join fast in the future in the RCP. So thank you, thank you very much again Akshop for being for the third time in Deep in the Sea and I hope to have you back here for a fourth time. Absolutely, I look forward to it. I'm glad you have opened the year in 2021 on a good note with your podcast and look forward to more discussions going along. Bye-bye.